0: Welcome to The Flying Baton, the magical land
1: of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nessmith.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Flying Baton. You can check out our show notes for links for everything that we talk about on the show today, as well as a lot more information on our guest. We've started including chapter markers on the podcast, so if your podcast app supports it, you can jump around to the topics that interest you. Swipe up on Apple Podcasts or swipe left on Overcast and Pocket Cast. Spotify, unfortunately, does not support chapters at this time. Don't forget to stick around for the end of the episode where we have our beginning band pick of the week. This is where we analyze a song that you could use in your program. Susan Waters is a native of Nashville, Tennessee, and is in her 33rd year of teaching. She is the head band director at Oliver Middle School, which she opened in 2004. The program has grown from a population of only seven band students on opening day to its current membership of over 400 students in band, which represents approximately 42% of the overall school population. The Oliver Band has received numerous honors and awards and has performed at the Tennessee Music Education Association Conference, the CMA All-Stars Concert, and the College Band Directors National Association Conference. She has several published articles and has been a clinician for the Midwest Band Clinic as well as numerous other conferences. Most recently, she presented at Midwest in a session called the Middle School Rehearsal Environment. This session focused on having a positive physical environment as well as emotional environment for your students. I've only scratched the surface on her many honors and the accomplishments of the Oliver Band, but you can read the full bio in the show notes. All right,
0: thank you so much, Susan, for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for asking me, Charlie. I really look forward to this.
2: So, I was reading your bio last night, and one thing like just really stuck out to me. Uh, it was which is crazy. It said that you started at Oliver Middle School in 2004, and the program only had seven students. Correct. And now it has over 400 students in the program. Correct. That I mean, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It, it's just it's just what happened. I guess we started at I opened the building, and it was at uh, maybe 30%, 40% capacity when we opened it. And um, I was the only band director. And there were seven kids that walked in the first day that had ever played anything. And so I had seven kids on the first day, and I went around to the classrooms, and I found uh, 25 more 6th, 7th, and 8th graders that wanted to learn how to play. So I had 32 in a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade band. And then by Labor Day, I started um a bunch of beginners. So so that first year, I had a 32-piece band and like a 40-something piece beginner band. And so I had about 70-something students in the program the first year. But by February, it was one big band. Because, you know, okay. you think about it. It was really all beginners anyway, but they met all separately through the day. But that was kind of cool. But the building wasn't finished and we were in a regular classroom. So um, it was kind of cool. I think I probably could have br- brought some more in, but... But it was all the room I had.
2: Uh, how'd you go about spreading the word to students um, to get them interested in joining bands?
0: Um, I just went into each classroom and talked to the kids, and just talked about what band was and how it related to their general music class. And even if they loved their general music class, they might do well in band. And even if they, you know, that was their least favorite thing to do all day, that band was so different that I wanted to have a chance to show them what we did. Um, so I brought in a bunch of different instruments and I had those seven kids that I had demonstrate some instruments and, um, just kind of got them interested in what I was doing and then brought them in the classroom and started teaching them some things and kind of hooked them. I felt like, I felt pretty confident that if I could get them in the door and get them placed appropriately, that I would, I'd be able to keep them. So, yeah.
2: Well, and you had a lot of experience with several other programs before coming there, right? Correct. So say there's a young director listening in who is taking over a band program. It's maybe their first gig. How, how do you recommend they go about building up their culture from the very beginning, especially if there was a previous culture that was that was different from a previous director?
0: Well, I think the first thing that they absolutely have to do is make that space special and safe. It has to be different from any other space in the building. And the kids have to know that. It has to be readily apparent by its appearance and by its feel an atmosphere in the room. And then what I mean by that is a feeling of safety and support and freedom to be themselves and make mistakes and that it's okay. So it just has to be very welcoming. And I think regular classroom teachers do a great job of that, but they only have to keep kids for a year Mm -hmm. and then they get a new one and they get to start over brand new every single year. But as band directors, we don't, we keep them. We watch them grow up. We help them grow up. So we have to sustain that culture so any first year teacher or young teacher, I would that's the most important lesson that I learned. I didn't know necessarily how to do that. I knew how I felt like I knew how to make band cool, but I didn't know how to make it safe. Hmm. And I could make it successful, but I didn't know how to make it safe. And so I learned how to do that at great expense.
2: What are when you mentioned your room, what are some things that you do with your classroom environment to help students feel like they're in a safe space?
0: Um, I like to have things set up as much as I can, if that means the class before us, before them, sets up the room or leaves it neat um, so that it looks purposeful when they walk in. Uh, the flow has to be there. They have to know which way to come in, if there's two doors or one door um, coming in and out, how to be respectful of people sharing spaces. You know, if you've got a cramped uh, storage room, how is that set up? Um, So that kids can easily navigate that because kids don't have logistical thinking minds. They don't know how to organize. I mean, let's look at their rooms. I mean, come on. So they don't know how to naturally navigate a space and make it um, workable for everybody. They'll make it workable for them, which usually involves blocking other people. So you have to teach that. How do you come in the room? Um, and make sure your room is designed to make it friendly and to for kids and easy for them to come in and find their way. Um, plenty of space. We use a lot of tape markings on the floor to say cases go here, um, you know, chair and stand first, then get your music, then get your instrument, be sure you close your locker, you know, just all those logistical things that kids don't even think about coming in the room. And then the other thing is when you walk in our room, you can see a lot of a lot of art on the walls, a lot of student work, a lot of inspirational posters, a lot of funny things that kids can relate to, and a lot of accomplishments. So they feel like it's a special place where we laugh, where we think deeply about things. And then they can see readily on the wall that there's a sense of accomplishment and an expectation that you're going to do well. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Without absolutely. pictures, I, you know, I've never had to really describe <laughs> my room. So, yeah, I was kind of thinking there.
2: Yeah. Since band is an elective, I think a lot of young teachers are, are really concerned that if students don't like them enough, they, they will quit. And then the teacher will, you know, get fired for not building the program. And like, how how would you recommend that a teacher balance creating a culture of discipline and respect while also, uh, you know, kind of kind of avoiding that pitfall?
0: Well, I think you have to maintain an even keel. I didn't, I didn't know that early on. I, you know, I was of the old school of don't smile till after Christmas. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to be strict on, on the first semester, and then you can loosen up a little bit on the second, but kids are not like that anymore. Um, Kids want to feel welcomed and safe and valued. And, and that hasn't changed obviously, but the way teachers go about doing that um, is different. But, I worried about that a lot. I don't worry about it so much anymore um, because kids naturally gravitate towards structure. They won't admit it. But also kids at the middle school level and the beginning band, elementary band level, they're, they stay in the band because of who's in front of them. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that your kids have to like you every day. And I use the analogy um, with my kids about their parents. That your parents love you, even though if they're even though they get mad at you, they never stop loving you, right? And they, and they say, "Yeah, yeah, we understand that." I said, "Well, I'm going to be tough on you. That doesn't mean that I don't love you or that I don't like you. I'm never going to not love you. I'm just going to expect a lot from you. And when you mess up, I'm going to be right there to let you know." And and so I try to parent them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I guess. And I don't worry about whether they like me or not. I know they're going to get mad at me. But the older I get, the less I worry about that. But I remember as a young teacher worrying about that a great deal, worrying that I walked down the hall and the kid didn't speak to me. Oh, my gosh, what have I done? (laughs) And I was that kid in middle school that didn't have a whole lot of friends. So socially, I was a little awkward. So that kind of leads itself into me still feeling like that as an adult. But, you know, at heart, I'm an introvert. But that doesn't come across that way. But yeah, I, yeah, that's totally valid for young teachers to worry about that. But don't just be be consistent, be structured, be loving, kind, tough love. I say a lot, and and mm. and consistency. You can't. That's the biggest thing that makes kids quit. That if they can't predict what you're going to do necessarily. That if you get mad at them one second and then the next minute, or one day you let them do whatever and let them get away with things, and then the next and then you let it build up, build up till you finally blow up. You can't stand it anymore. And then they learn not to trust you. Hmm. So trust is a big thing. This is a two-way street. Um, So build the trust. Make them feel safe. Let them know you care about them, even when they mess up. Find the good in whatever. And let them know when they make mistakes that that we're going to move on from here. It's okay. Tomorrow's a new day, and you're going to make mistakes, and I make them all the time. But we're going to move on, and I'm not going to hold this against you, but we're going to move forward. That's a lot, isn't it?
2: Uh, <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all part of the job.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, that, can be that can make people not want to do it if you're not that. But I don't, yeah. you know, it's it's it comes with time. You can't read this in a book, and you can't. It's like becoming a surgeon. I can't read a book and get a degree from Vanderbilt and say, "Oh, I'm going to operate on somebody tomorrow." You have to cut open a lot of patients to figure this out. And unfortunately, you might kill a few, but you're going to learn every time. But at least what we do, we're not killing kids, but we are molding them. So you're not always going to get it right. And you have to give yourself permission to not always have the answers and not always get it right, just like your kids are not always going to get it right. And you're going to be okay with that.
2: Yeah. And I think I think teaching, especially when you're in front of a large group of people, it's very it's very difficult in the early stages to know, like to know what the right thing to do is and actually putting it into action.
0: Yeah. And, and um, having that awareness around the room, too, because yeah. student teachers, I find, have tunnel vision because it's always been centered on them. They don't understand the scent, the global. Um, what do you have to say? Those classroom eyes and ears mm-hmm. You have to be aware of the whole by dealing with the individual that's that's something you just have that's cutting open patience right there
2: yeah well i'm i'm glad you mentioned uh, a student walking down the hallway and, and maybe not saying hi or looking at you um i think one thing that still blows my mind uh e- you know even now is i'll have a kid in my class who is like blank face the whole time doesn't smile doesn't laugh doesn't say anything and they'll go through my program for three years and I'll see them in high school and they'll come up and be and be like, oh, like your class was the most fun class that I had. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> Yeah,
0: totally didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like yeah. you never know what's going on inside of them. No. It just might not be emoting outward.
0: You're right. You know? You're right. And and teaching today is, is so much more difficult than it used to be because we're supposed to care about that. Hmm. When I first started teaching, that was not even mentioned in any, there was no professional development about feelings or social, emotional learning. And that was not, it was, they were there to learn. You were there to teach. That's it. It was real cut and dry. And, and as, as we have evolved as a society, things always change, but now it's more personal and you have to think about those things. And, and I, and I see kids in my program all the time that barely speak. And I really try to make a, an effort to, to say hi, say their name.
1: Because mm, mm-hmm,
0: I mm. have no idea what's on the inside. Yeah, And just speak to them. Go, hey, how you, you doing? Okay? Okay. You know. And some kids are like that.
2: What kind of relationship did you have with your band director going through school?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, fearful. <laughs> Respectful. Because <laughs> that was, man, that was the time where you smoked on the podium. And if you test uh. leak pad leak tested a clarinet, you blew cigarette smoke inside the clarinet. <laughs> yeah. And then oh my clarinet's not playing. Well here, give it to me. Here, let me here, hold my cigarette. And then they play test the clarinet. But it was a totally different time. But I had a lot of respect for my my director for sure because it was the first woman I had ever seen do anything of power that mm. was just so I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was such such a in such a bad space in my in middle school years, as you heard in the clinic, it was just, um, mm-hmm. uh, it was just one thing I could cling onto. And, and all she did was just believe in me and gave me a, a space that was consistent and had high expectations. And that's what I needed at the time. And as a matter of fact, I've been texting with her this morning. I, so we still have a very close relationship, even, you know, 46 years later, um, but going through school, I respected her so much. I just, not worship, I guess, but was so, I had her such so far up on a pedestal that I was like, I want to be like that. That's the mm-hmm. way I want. She just seems like she's so in control of her life and she has everything and she's so good at what she does. And that that's what I want to be. I want to be that. And I want to, maybe I can influence one kid like she's done for me. So that, I mean, I did, she, she said, jump. And I said, how high and, and <laughs> I did it.
2: Um, do you bring her into, uh, to visit your classes and your students and work mm-hmm. with them?
0: Yep. She is at all of my big concerts that we do. Um, she comes into rehearsals. I have her come listen. I call her or go over and talk to her and just say, Hey, what do you think about this? And just still, she's a source of, um, learning for me. Um, and she's got a great, great ears and she can come in and hear what's wrong with a concert band and go, Hey, you know what? You might want to look at this. Oh, I didn't even hear that. Okay. Thanks. So even now I do depend on her for sure.
2: I think it's it's really special. You guys have that kind of relationship to this day still. Oh yeah. Um, so you mentioned celebrating the successes of your students. I think you had an example of a, um, a positive note that was, yeah. uh, like a cutout of a note with some lines for text on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's um somebody shared a document similar to that on the band director group, and I thought that's really cool. So I I didn't come up with this originally. I've done other things before that, but um, this is a, a template. Um, it's just a eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. We do them in colors. And it has a note outline, and then we hand them out to parents in the holding room, or the cafeteria is the holding room, before we go into the gym for the concerts. And um, I pass out, have stacks of them around, and um, I explain what it is. And I say, I want you to write a note to your child telling them whatever you want to tell them. This is their first concert. We do it a lot at first concerts and big concerts and just encouraging notes and then we're going to cut them out. We're going to hang them up in the band room for everybody to see. And if you want to write a note to the whole band program, you can or just special notes to your to your own child. And it's really touching what the parents write. you know, I love you, mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you and, and you're going to be a rock star and you know just just things that maybe kids kind of get embarrassed about hearing at that age, but they see it in writing. and I have kids when we give them the notes that they keep them in their binder.
1: Hmm.
0: And it's real special to them. I've even had teachers write notes to their students on those, you know, wishing them well. And I'm very proud of you and that kind of thing. It's just very meaningful, yeah, to the kids.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, even though the kids might not say that they like that sort of thing, <laughs> you know, I know oh, yeah. they really they really appreciate it. It's the same when like you know parents volunteer to chaperone kids are like, no, I don't want my parent there. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them you're full on chaperones. But then when the parent comes, they, they clearly appreciate and, and know oh, that it's do. an act of love. Yeah, they
0: do. I tell all my parents that I speak middle school and that translates into mom and dad, I love you so much. Please go with me on the trip. That's exactly what that means. <laughs> and I'll say That's that awesome. for the kids too. And, and yes, they'll, they may come to you for money or if they're hurt or sick, they don't feel well. But that still translates into mom, dad, I love you. And I'm so glad you're spending this time with me. So trust me, I speak middle school.
2: Now, one of the things you mentioned in your clinic is recognizing students for the things they do outside of band. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how do you do that?
0: We have a wall um, that and we have a big poster over it that recognizes students for not only being great band students, but for going above and beyond that and participating in the following activities and we and I get special craft paper um, for each sport or the musical or book club or student council or honor roll or whatever it is. And I have these bright yellow stickers and I, I handwrite the kids' names on it and I put it on that craft paper and I hang the craft paper up on the wall. So you can go and see all the kids that made the basketball teams and you can see all the kids that are cheerleaders and you can see all the kids that are in um, Wizard of Oz this semester. You can see the track kids or whatever. Um, and so that's the first thing, really one of the first things you see when you walk in the band wing and everybody comes in and go, oh, the band wing. Well, oh, wait, wait. They do other stuff because they're not just band kids. They're kids yeah, and they're human yeah. beings and they have interests and talents outside of this this is just where we house them for the hour a day that we get them and we treat them like they're the most special things and we honor everything that they wish to do and they think it's important as much as we can
2: do you guys have any um like group bonding activities you do outside of just playing together
0: um when we go on our trips um we like to um we eat eat meals together Um, We usually cater things in and eat in big ballrooms so we can hang out um, like that. We'll go um, and some of our trips, we'll take them to those enclosed um, activity centers that have like escape rooms and laser tag and um, bumper cars and all that. Just so the kids have all that kind of, and we get in there with them. And then we go to amusement park, obviously, and then you know, I'm on the bus, all the directors, we have these notes about, okay, we are the roller coaster experts and here's the helpful hints. Go to the back of the park first, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay, and who's going to ride this ride with me? Because I know all of you are too scared to go ride this ride with me. So I don't know. I don't do those necessarily. Let's do the team building activities and the trust building. I'm not that good at that. But on our our trips and special events, we'll do things that we do together that is not music related. And they see their adults and their lives in a totally different light. Hmm. You know, the kids go, man, I've never seen Miss Waters so relaxed. She's usually so stressed out, like going into concerts (laughs) and whatever. But she's really cool. She like rode that roller coaster with me like three times, you know, so that I'm a person too. Yeah. And I like to have fun. And then when I, you know, get hard on them about, well, you know, you need to learn that two octave scale. And know that phrase isn't long enough. And no, you need to, d- no, you just needs to go faster. And, you know, you need to practice more. Then they remember, hmm, she was the cool person who rode the roller coaster with me. So maybe this is okay. So that's, that's how we build team and community. And um, we do projects, um, service projects. For the community um last year we did a campaign to raise awareness on um abandoned animals hmm. and um, we centered it around the julie jeru piece for our castaways and um so we adopted uh five uh local rescue uh shelters um from any it had anything from horses to um cats and Stuff, you know, dogs, domesticated animals, obviously.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, we had the kids bring in donations and we did a concert um, where we premiered that piece um, and had all of the uh, representatives from all of those five uh, animal activist groups there with tables and animals at the concert before it and after it. Um, and one of the rescue animals um, came in and sat in the keeper's lap in the front row of the concert the whole time. Did't bark, didn't whimper, just enjoyed the whole concert. So, um, and then we did a, a big social media blast with it, and we um, some of the kids and parents went over and delivered all the stuff to them. So we try to do those things in veterans concerts where we write letters to veterans and and just try to teach them about community awareness. So we're building, I don't know, building skills for when they're an adult, they can be a responsible person and and see things that are that are not just about them.
2: Well, speaking of teaching them skills, I think one thing I overhear a lot in, you know, like the teacher lounges is they say that kids are so different now, they don't have any respect for anybody. Do do you think that that's actually true or do you think that that's just kind of, you know, disillusionment coming in?
0: Um I think it's I think it's true in some cases. I think there's respect there. I think it's just harder to get to. Hmm. I, what do you mean by that? I think I think you have to work harder to get it. I mean, it used to be that parents taught their teachers to re- their kids to respect their teachers and elders, and and parents don't do that on the whole. I'm not saying I'm not saying parents at all don't do that. I'm saying a lot of parents don't do that now, where they take the child's word for what happened and you see these memes all the time these cartoons about you know used to be that the parent the, the teacher would call the parent in for a parent conference and they'd be pointing at the kid well you need to do this and what did you do wrong and today they point at the teacher and the kid's sitting back and ha- has no culpability for for what's happened and so respect is harder to get to i think it's there but it's you have to dig more and you have to work for it more. But I would not want to be a regular subject area teacher, like math or social studies, because I think they're getting beat up a lot. Yeah. In that. Yeah. And what we do, there's more buy in just by the nature of what we do. Kids parents are making a choice to put their kid in there in a lot of ways and they're making an investment. So our interaction with parents is not as difficult I think as the interactions that math teachers have. So I have a lot of respect for those teachers and the difficulties that they have and I try to support them. Our program tries to support them and but we you know we have our challenges too. We can't, you know, say that we we have all unicorns and rainbows because we don't, but I think the majority we have we have easier people to deal with
2: yeah when I first started uh, teaching, I actually taught math for a few years. um I was a double major, and that's the only jobs that were available in my area at the time
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um it and, and it just struck me there's just so many incredible differences switching between that and band. I mean, for one, I work way harder as a band director than I ever yeah. did as a math teacher. I <laughs> <all that>. yeah, <laughs> so so many more hours but on but on the student front, you know if it if a student doesn't like you, they'll just not take band you know uh and math teachers for example don't they don't have that luxury. If the the student and the teacher don't get along, they're I mean, they're not gonna get moved out. They're just gonna tough it out. You know, so that's definitely not lost on me when I'm talking to my peers who teach other subjects. And we don't have the whole standardized testing to to contend with on our evaluations and things like that. As long as our kids perform well, then that's kind of kind of our evaluation, you know.
0: Yes. However, you think about it another way, <clears throat> and the way I teach my kids about the, the test analogy of when we go out for a concert it's everybody's score out there. Hmm. And so if a math teacher had to, you know, average all of their their test scores into one score, you know, for everything they did, then that would be that would be similar. But they also don't have their math kids take um, quizzes in front of live o- audiences where you have no. <laughs> I mean, so I have appreciation on both sides. But there are a lot of our colleagues in the country that have portfolio evaluations. We did that for a period of time. I wish it would come back where we were a tested subject.
1: Hmm.
0: We hmm. were measuring student growth. And I think that's so valuable. And if that ever comes around to your county, you all need to jump on it.
2: What are some ways to measure the performance aspect of the job? Because I know music theory, it's its easy to whip up a, a, an assessment for music theory and score it numerically. But as far as and like, what kind of rubric would you use for a playing test?
0: um Well, you can do teacher evaluation, or you can do student evaluation, um, and then the rubric for that—you're having them listen. I mean, you can just break down an, an adjudicator sheet for concert band, and you just run that into a rubric of what, and you can be as simple as you know, poor, fair, good, excellent on tone, and you know, or you can score it, or you can. But as far as um, a lot of things that we do with concert evaluations or playing tests. Uh playing tests me look very look very different, depending on the class. Um, what I want from a g- beginner playing test is markedly different than what I want from my top kids playing tests, but I'm checking for accuracy in that what we do, and that when we give playing mm-hmm. tests is when we hear stuff we don't like as I tell the bands that sure way to not ever have a playing test in band is to have everything played really well. <laughs> there won't be a need for me to listen to this individually. But what's our playing test over? Well, think about what you can't do well on this. And that's what I'm going to listen to. And that's true. And mine figure it out by the time they get older. They figure that out. And I don't have as many playing tests when they're older. But um, some of my playing tests are quick yes, no, maybes. And I tell them ahead of time, this is what I'm listening for. Listening for correct articulation. Um, I'm listening for a good tone. And I'm listening for right rhythms and right notes. And you're either a yes to all of that or a no or a maybe. And a maybe gets an immediate feedback of fix the articulation. It, you will have it in 10 minutes. And then I go on the next person. That's mm-hmm. real quick feedback. Another way we do tests and evaluations and uh, what that looks like in the room is recording, playing recordings back to the kids and giving them a rubric to fill out. And so they're evaluating their own performance. And then we do they do another rubric, listen to it again. They evaluate the group's performance. So you're you're constantly shifting from the individual to the group, the individual to the group in your assessment. So be sure um, that when you are testing for things that you are not only testing the individual, you're having them listen globally.
2: Do you guys um do you guys have differentiated bands? Yes. Um, how's How's that structured and how do you go about placing kids in each one?
0: That is structured by uh, cross grade level teachers. Um, so they teach off grade level for one subject to accommodate those kids that are off grade level band. Oh, does that make sense? So,
1: um,
0: our top band is our top seventh and eighth graders that audition, um, and make a commitment to be in that top group, which requires a lot more work. And then the number two group is six, seventh and eighth graders. And that's typically a seventh grade band. So that's the grade level band for that whereas our top group is an eighth-grade grade-level band. So those seventh-graders that are in the top group are assigned to a teacher off-grade level for one subject, like social studies, to accommodate them being able to come to band at that time. And then the, the number two group has sixth- and eighth-graders in it, same thing. There is a teacher who teaches those sixth-graders off-grade level so they can come to the seventh-grade band time, and same thing with the eighth-graders. Now, there's only two bands that are the, that way, the other two bands are grade level, mm-hmm. so our beginners are all together fifth grade and then our sixth grade intermediate, but then the sixth graders that play in the symphonic band don't, they don't meet with the intermediate kids, so they're off their grade level. So it makes sense? So they have social studies when the rest of their colleagues go to band.
2: So your school is fifth through eighth, is the fifth yes. grade in the same building? Mm-hmm.
0: Correct, okay. yes.
2: And uh, how many teachers do you have in your band program now? Three.
0: Me and two assistants.
2: How do you go about structuring uh the responsibilities shared between all three of you
0: well i'm the woodwind person um katie's the brass person kevin is the percussion guy and they each have their own band to be responsible for they, to call the shots per se
1: mm-hmm.
0: um we split up we teach we teach every class together but we each have a room that when we're split Um, You know, I'll have woodwind, she'll have brass and he'll have the percussion. And then there are times where if Kevin, who's in charge of the symphonic band, wants to split the symphonic band up a different way, where I'll take the low brass and the low reeds and Katie will take the high and middle brass and he'll take, you know, somebody else in the percussion will split it that way. But that will be his decision to make how that's split. Uh, And then we put them all together and run rehearsals and be each other's ears uh, in the room. So we do everything together.
2: Oh, it's really great.
0: Yeah. Very lucky that way. Very, very, very lucky because it wasn't always that way in my career. I spent most of it by myself.
2: What is um, the band's relationship to the administration and the guidance department?
0: Um, guidance department. Very good. Everybody, very good relationship. Um, this school's 16 years old now. And so having built this, built the school, I'm one of two original teachers left. So, um, I had a big hand in the master schedule early on and, and band because we have like 42 to 45% of the school and ban, we, we don't dictate the master schedule, but we, you know, some things rotate around it a little bit, um, to be accommodated. Um, so sometimes we get some pushback from teachers, but most of that is just lack of understanding, um, and myths, misconceptions, um, but we have a great relationship with administration. Um, we've got all brand new administration. That's always scary. I'm on my sixth principal in 16 years, so it's been scary every time going through that. But they all acknowledge and relate to the intrinsic value that we are bringing to the academics and the overall school climate and culture. Uh, when VIPs visit the school, the first place they're going to take them is the, is the wing.
2: I imagine you, your band is is so well decorated and performs at so many different places. I imagine it's a it's amazing PR for the school.
0: It is, it it, it is, and but we have a lot of great things at Oliver Middle School that are not banned. and we try to um, support those as much as we can and and show up for those, you know. But we, you know, like on our band fa- Facebook page, we'll post pictures of soccer players that are. Doing well. Yeah, they're band kids. But just, again, that whole acknowledging what the kids are interested in and what all they do, because they're not just band kids. They're yeah. kids.
2: Well, I was looking at your uh, your band Facebook page the other day, and, I mean, it was really incredible how much stuff you guys had on there. Could you talk about how you incorporate the social media into the band program?
0: The Facebook page? Um, yeah. Um, I run the Facebook page and just post a lot of things on there that I, I can. Um and share things with kids. I was sharing a bunch of things today, Um, but, you know, we haven't been doing that for for very long. The district took a big, um, had a big frowny face on the whole Facebook thing, so we really weren't allowed to do it um, for a long time, but I tried to make it a place for all things positive regarding band, and, you know, announcements, and featuring kids, and activities, and bragging on people, and bragging on alumni, and just just trying to make that a place where it's positive um, awareness for the band program, I guess, if you will, rather than a – because social media can be so negative now. <laughs> it's just awful. Yes. I, sometimes I just don't even want to open it up. So I, I just want it to be a place where it's it's the good and we're not going to focus on the bad. The bad's always going to be there, but we're just going to choose to ignore it right here.
2: Yeah. I feel like being an election year, there's going to be at some point in the fall where I just, I just don't open it for yeah, several no, right? weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> it's sef- so, and it's, especially, you know, my family has a lot of very diverse political views. And I really just don't want to see them argue with each other. Oh, I know. <laughs> you
0: know? I, I know. It's crazy. I know. Everybody's in that boat. You know, you just don't even want to talk about it. We had Trump come to, the, to Nashville um I was helping clean up one of the middle schools that was to- almost destroyed. Basically, they're moved. we've moved them out to another mm-hmm. building. I was helping the band director move and inventory all the instruments and get them moved. And, and Trump was coming to town, and the guy coming with the box trailer to help us move out of this rubble building was blocked by the moving motorcade. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, come on. So, it was interesting. Everybody in the room had probably their different feelings about all of that. But it was like we were there to clean up a, a tornado destroyed building. I don't have time for this.
2: Yeah. Um, well, if you don't mind, um, I have my final three questions. Okay. The, uh, the interview coda, if you will. Uh, do you have a mentor shout out? Um, That's maybe someone you'd, you haven't mentioned in the show so far.
0: Oh, goodness. Mentor shout out. I got so many mentors. It's not even funny. Do I have to just do one?
2: Oh, you can do several. Go for oh, it. Oh, okay.
0: All right. Well, let's see. Then. I, oh, gosh, I'll feel bad if I leave someone out. Oh my gosh, the stress is overwhelming, Charlie. You know, I have so many mentors in a lot of ways, and and some of them are are deceased, unfortunately. Um, but Joanne Hood is my biggest one, and she was. You know, I I thanked her in my my clinic. Um, and she always continues to be a, a mentor. Um, Joseph T. Smith was a mentor to me. He has long since passed away, but um, he was old school marching band was my college band director. Oh, goodness. Um, oh, wow. That's so much. I have so many colleagues around me. I guess I'll just say this. Every, every teacher I come in contact is a mentor for me because I learned something from them. And I just I don't want to name anybody else because there are so many of them out there that I talk to all the time. And then anybody, even I meet or see their band for the first time, I consider them a mentor because we all feed off of each other. And, and I learn a lot of things from everybody I come in contact with. And I think my students are mentors, too, because they teach me a lot of things. So I am just I'm just going to be safe and say that.
2: Well, that actually leads me to the next question, which um, I I will ask you to get a little specific on.
0: Name a band
2: director right now who you think is crushing it.
0: Oh my gosh, there's so many. You know what? And I'm going to surprise you, and I'm not going to say a name that anybody's going to know. There's a young teacher in my city who is just crushing it, and her name is Samantha davenport Reed, and she is... She is getting it done. She is a young teacher. I don't know how many years she's been teaching, but it's like it has to be under five. I mean, it, she is getting it done and doing some great things, and I'm very proud of her. Um, wow. Yeah, that's that's who I'm going to say. That's, that's my vote right now. Awesome. But she's crushing it in Nashville.
2: All right, number three. Do you have a favorite beginning band piece for maybe year one through three students?
0: Ha Popcorn Prelude is my favorite. <laughs> Micanical. Do you know that one? I don't. Okay. Oh, you have to write this one down. This is so amazing. Okay. I love this piece. So when you put a bag of popcorn in the microwave, right, and it turns Ooh. on, and like a minute later, you hear one pop, right? And then you hear another pop, and you know, and it gets faster and faster, and all, you know, then they're all popping, and then it slows down, right? So Popcorn Prelude is about that, but the the band sections are your kernels. OK, so <laughs> it starts out with everybody sitting down and then you play for a while sitting down and, the, and, the, and the, the parents all think, oh, this is fine. And then all of a sudden you get to measure 21, I think it is, and the flutes stand up, and play three notes and they sit down. Somebody else stands up and plays three notes. And then some, so each section gets a chance to stand up and they stand up for a measure, sit down, stand up. And then somebody stands up for two measures and then and then all of a sudden they're standing up every beat. <laughs> and then at the end, everybody stands up on the last note. So that's our traditional piece in December for our beginners. It's a rite of passage. You cannot get through beginning bed, Oliver, unless you play Popcorn Prelude. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, I will definitely give that one a shot.
0: That's my favorite beginning band piece for sure.
2: Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been an absolute pleasure.
0: Well, thanks for asking me. I hope I hope my answers were helpful and um, I am available for anybody to reach out to me at any time. I always want to help.
2: You know what time it is.
1: Band pick
2: of the week. This week's pick is Byzantine Dances by Carol Britton Chambers, published by Excelsior Music Publishing in 2018. This piece is a fast-paced and fun adventure. It explores the Byzantine scale, so there's a healthy amount of accidentals, and there's a lot of fun ornamental things like grace notes and trills. In the B section, we break down into a slower, more seductive dance, with a slow saxophone solo. This is accompanied by the band snapping their fingers to give it a characteristic feel. In the end, we recap the material from the beginning with a little bit of a round and a big finish. My kids had a really fun time with this piece. The clarinet one part goes up to A above the staff and the clarinet two plays exactly one note over the break and it's a C. Trumpet one only goes up to D in the staff and trumpet two goes up to B natural in the staff. Horns go up to C in the staff a few times, but they spend most of their time in the comfortable range. One thing to note is that there's only one trombone part and it goes up to D and E flat above the staff quite a bit. So your trombone should be really comfortable up there, or you can probably bring it down an octave if you need to. There's a healthy amount of percussion parts, but you're going to want to make sure that you have a really confident player on the tambourine, as it's the most important percussion part for the faster sections of the music. This has been... Thank you so much for joining us today. You can check us out on Facebook or our website, The Flying Baton. And if you have any questions, comments, you can message me through Facebook or send an email to Charlie at charlieattheflyingbaton.com. I'll see you guys next time.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light.